Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal. A series of strange letters leads us into the world of gang stalking. And then we take a look at a small race of cannibal humanoids that live in the woods. They have a terrifying reputation, but their name is anything but terrifying. Today, we take a look at the Melonheads on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We got a lot to get through today, so we're going to go ahead and get started. Now, so the first story we're going to look at, uh, the first way we're going to start off the first story, comes from the Conspiracy Iceberg. It's about middle tier in the Conspiracy Iceberg. We got to go to jolly old England, so let's hop in the Carpenter Copter. Let's fire it up. That's me hitting switches. I always think it's amazing. Like, when you look at a helicopter in real life, you just see, like, the, the circle because the rotors are... But when you film a helicopter, sometimes you the rotors look like they're moving real slow. It's kind of weird looking. But anyway, so we're in the, we're in the carpenter copter. We're flying over England right now. Now, it's funny because I always refer to England as, like, it's just one big city, but that's because I don't know any better. We're in, wait, no, England is a city. Uh, wait, no, is England the country or the city? Oh, London's the city. Anyways, I don't know what city this takes place in, so we're just going to hover over England until we see a proper young gentleman go to retrieve his mail. This chap, this jolly old chap, his name is Trevor Silverwood. He's actually a member of parliament, so he's pretty high up in the government, the equivalent of the U.S. Senate. So Trevor is out, sipping his tea, eating, he's wiping little crumpet crumbs off of his tie he's a very dapper man and he goes to his mailbox we see him retrieve a letter we're looking overhead he doesn't look up he doesn't hear the incredibly noisy and loud helicopter above him but he gets a letter he looks at it and we just see him kind of slump as he opens it up he knows what the letter is going to say it's always a little crazy it's always a little weird and it is always correct From 1969 to 1979, Trevor Silverwood would get letters delivered to him. He'd open it up, and it would say, Hey, Trevor, you had a great day yesterday, didn't you? I saw you walking down the street in your gray pea coat, your black shoes. You seemed like you were a man on a mission. Hope you had fun. See you again. There was never a signature except for a little drawing of the saint, a little stick man with the halo over his head. It was a television show around the time. He would get, Trevor Silverwood would get letters explaining what he wore, 
the previous day or in the past because some of the letters take a while together. But they would explain like what he was wearing, what he was doing, who he was with. These letters were postmarked from all over the world. He would get letter. He'd get a letter from India saying, "Nice shoes the other day. Look like you polished them. Look like you were really trying to set some sort of fashion trend, Mister Silverwood." And of course, after the first couple letters, he ends up getting the police involved. They can never figure it out. What they think was someone was spying on him in England. And then they would mail the letter to an accomplice in another country who would then mail it back. Sometimes the letters came from his neighborhood. Not all the letters came from foreign countries. But the, they could never track down who it was. Now, this, was, this story was first told in this book called Truly Bizarre, which was published in 1979. And they were stating he was still receiving the letters at the time the book was being published. And this has always been kind of a quirky conspiracy. And there was a forum where they were talking about the strange letters. That's what it's known as, the strange letters. And that's how it's listed on the conspiracy theory iceberg. There was a forum talking about how crazy it was that no one could ever figure it out. And in 2011, someone claiming to be Trevor Silverwood's son went onto the forum. Because, you know, you Google your dad, you Google your name. It's not bizarre to think that this guy would find it. And he said the story was absolutely true as well. He said that the story was true. My father did get these letters. He saved them, actually. He saved them, and he told us a story about it, and eventually they did peter out. People on the forum asked him, can you take photos of the letters? And he's like, no, no, you know, I don't feel comfortable doing that. So, may have been a LARP, may have truly been his son, but the stories were reported, and the police were involved in all these things, and is a true story. Now, that's that for that conspiracy. But it's a lead into a topic that is kind of a mainstay of conspiracy theory, and that's the thing called gang stalking. Now, let me give you a brief overview of gang stalking. Gang stalking is not a police investigation. Gang stalking is not you owe money to the mob and they're coming after you. Gang stalking is not you're the witness of a crime and a street gang's getting you. Gang stalking is this bizarre conspiracy belief. So there are TIs, which are considered, not the rapper, there are TIs which are considered targeted individuals. And these people, who are otherwise completely normal in the world, are being stalked by some sort of shadowy government or Illuminati-esque organization. So you, if you were a targeted individual, you would walk outside, and let's say that if you saw... Okay, let let me put it this way. If, If I walked outside my house and every day there was a Pacific power van outside my house, the first thing I'm going to think is they must be having problems with the power lines. But after three or four days, my personal thing is I'm going to think there's feds in there. They're investigating someone, possibly me. There's a cops in that van. But it's going to take a while for me to come to that conclusion. If you start seeing black SUVs with tinted windows driving through your street at the same time of night, I'm going to think that's some sort of drug running operation. That's not what we're talking about. That's not, that's not where gang stalking, that's not where targeted individuals think gang stalking is. Here's some ways you can tell, according to this young woman, and everyone has their own way, but there's some key things. This young woman wrote on a forum about gang stalking. This is the way she knows that she is being stalked by a shadowy organization. Tell me if any of those things have happened to you. You might be gang stalked as well. You go to a store and it's crowded and people get in your way. You might be being gang stalked, according to her. If you're at home and let's say you're milling about in your yard, you're raking your your leaves. Here's, here's a way. The, this is a way to tell that you are a target of a shadowy organization. People will mow their lawns or weed whack them. 
to annoy you with the noise. See, they're trying to break you down. Trying to break down the targeted individual. They will chop or chainsaw their firewood. I have no idea where this woman's living. What neighborhood do you live in where people can both weed whack, mow their lawns, and chop firewood? I guess I'm thinking the suburbs, but maybe she's living in the boonies or something like that. Here's another thing. If your neighbor is, quote, improving their home's facade, unquote, you might be being gang stalked. See, the point is, is they're causing all this noise, I guess, to drive you nuts. Um, Rev their car engine. If they yell at their animals or yell at each other, or if it's dark out and they have flashlights. These are all signs of people who are working for a shadowy organization that is targeting you. And that's where the insanity comes from. These are all things that normally happen. I live in an apartment complex downtown, and I will wake up sometimes to a loud lawnmower. And I'm like, who is mo- what lawn is possibly being mowed right now? Everyone has like a foot of lawn. Why am I waking up to... It's not because there's gang stalkers. It's because somebody decides their foot of grass is too high. I've always thought mowing lawns was the biggest waste of time. I honestly think that mowing lawns is a conspiracy. I think that everyone was fine with their lawns until someone invented a lawnmower and then marketed it saying your lawn is gross. Just like no one had a problem with body odor until deodorant was made. And then everyone was told that body odor was gross. I think it's the same thing with lawnmowers. I do not think that people need to mow their lawns. You can weed it, fine. But actually mowing a lawn, I think it is the industrial lawnmower complex. I do not believe that mowing the lawn is needed at all. No one ever thought about it until a lawnmower was invented. Anyways, that's my rant. So that that's according to this woman. So that's the level of paranoia we're talking about. There's a famous video, a gang stalking video of a woman walking up to a mailman and jumping into it. Not like, like she, you know how mail in America, mail vans have like an open door that the mail person can get in and out. She basically forces her camera through the door and says, quit following me. And the guy's like, what? She's like, quit following me because she sees him all the time. Because he's delivering the mail? She thinks that she's being stalked by him. This woman writes a letter to her. Imagine you get this letter from a family member. Imagine you get this letter from a family member. I'm not going to yell it even though it's in all caps. But you get this letter from some. This is your strange letter you get for the day. The same people who leave wet baby wipes in my car. And leave dead tissue wrapped spiders in my toilet. What? So she's thinking these gang stalkers are leaving... Oh, I don't, uh, listen, I don't know how she's getting wet baby baby napkins in her car or wrapped spiders in her toilet. But I don't think it's the government. And I don't think it's some shadowy organization. But she does. Why? Why would they do that? Okay, and loosen my doorknobs and dresser pulls. I'm glad she basically lives in Kevin McAllister's house. Her whole house is just is basically booby-trapped at this point. The same people who changed my porch light. That's kind of nice. Your porch light burns out and the government secretly changes it for you and break the leg off my toaster oven what who first off who uses those secondly kind of dangerous like if you're gonna if you're gonna sabotage just someone's house you can do something more than that but again that's just normal stuff that happens but i guess she came in her toaster oven was broken and she opened it up and a bunch of spiders popped out of it i don't know it is the people who show up in the middle of nowhere when i walk the dog The people who sit in their cars or stand in front of my house with strange devices in their hands. 
probably cell phones, or unusually heavy-looking bags. Okay, maybe there's smaller gang stalkers in there, I don't know. It's the same people who drive the wrong way down one-way streets where I'm working, and the same people who drive down the cul-de-sac I'm working in, just to turn around and drive back by. First off, if these guys are sneaky enough to sneak in your house, kill the spider. Actually, that sounds very nice. If I walked into my house and all the spiders in my house were dead and in my toilet, I would thank the gang stalkers. I would be like, thank you. Oh, and the porch light. Thank you for changing that as well. Driving down the wrong side of the street, that's either idiot drivers or and driving in the cul-de-sacs. Cul-de-sacs are made to drive down and turn around. So imagine, imagine getting that letter. Imagine getting that letter and knowing that this person who is your loved one is completely bonkers at this point. Because there, you, yes, it, it, it would be bizarre if I came home and every spider in my house was dead floating in my toilet. That would be really weird. And I would think, obviously, I would think someone must have broken into my house. But then I would, I, I would be more concerned if someone broke into my house and was installing, like, listening devices and things like that. Not killing my bugs. That. What on here is unhelpful? Yes, wet, leave wet baby wipes in my car. That's pretty gross. And loosening my doorknobs and dresser pulls, that's actually kind of funny. Like, that's something that I would do to my friend. But this is just a small, a little small window into how, and it's kind of sad. I'm making fun of it, but it's kind of sad because this is how targeted individuals live their entire life, really. And this is probably... One of the fastest growing conspiracy theories that I've seen in my time, probably in the past 10 years, I've seen gang stalking explode in popularity. I think it makes the victim feel important. It makes the victim feel like they have a bit of control because they have this hidden knowledge. They can see the patterns no one else can. But the reason why it's exploding is because the internet. It used to just be one paranoid person on one street who would come home, find a McDonald's wrapper laying by their car, and think, I don't need a McDonald's. How did this wrapper get next to my car? A spy must have put it here. And Ye would just be like, oh, that's crazy Archie. Crazy Archie, living in the streets, always running around talking about doorknobs and dead spiders. But now crazy Archie can go online and meet people from all over the world who are finding these inconsequential clues, and they're building their own delusional web massive amounts of people believe they are targeted individuals. This, to me, is a bigger threat than people who believe in flat earth. 100%. People can have all the sorts of loony scientific conspiracy theories that they want. This one, someone believes in flat earth, it doesn't matter. They still go to work, and it's not a big deal. They pay their taxes, they go out, have a good time, they have friends, stuff like that. They just have one wacky conspiracy theory. People who believe in this believe that the world is their enemy and and they may see you as their enemy as well. We'll go a little bit more into gang stalking in a future episode because I have found people who are dedicated to taking the fight to the gang stalkers. We've had a mass at least one mass shooting connected to gang stalking already. This is a serious problem. It's only going to get worse because people are always going to find dead spiders. People are always going to find busted light bulbs. People are always going to find McDonald wrappers by their car. And it's just a matter of time before these people in mass start really feeling like they only have one way out of this situation.
Let's go ahead and move on to a topic that's a little more lighthearted. It does involve cannibalism. It does involve mutants. But it's still a little more lighthearted than just mass psychosis. And what we're going to be talking about right now is the story of an, an interesting little cryptid known as the Melonhead. So who are the Melonheads? I just love that name, the Melonheads. Now, it's very, it's a very evocative phrase. Bigfoot, the name tells you right there, has a Bigfoot. Or people could think that the creature's actually a Bigfoot. There are some cryptids, the name is just perfect. Bigfoot, Shadow People, Bloody Mary, Melonhead. You go right there. The dude must have a head shaped like a melon, and you're 100% correct. But these guys are even better than that. Not only do they have big old heads, they got tiny little bodies. They got like baby bodies and big old melon head. And you think there's always, I have this thing, it's called, I call it the Chucky conundrum, where you try to, dude, that new Chucky movie looks amazing, by the way. That new, oh man, that trailer looks great, but it's the Chucky conundrum. Is there a point where a killer becomes so tiny that it doesn't become threatening? Chucky's scary? Like, I've never been scared of Chucky, but the idea of Chucky's scary. The, um, Fetish doll from that old movie trilogy of terror absolutely terrified me for like decades. Very, very scary. That thing's only like a foot tall. Would you rather be chased by a cannibalistic dwarf with a baby body and a big old melon head or an adult sized cereal? Oh, I guess, <laughs> I guess they're both bad, but is it scary because it's tiny? And I, I, I think there might be a point where it's not. Where it's too tiny, maybe like microscopic Chucky wouldn't it be scary. But there are a lot of people who go, ah, Chucky doesn't scare me. I just kick him over. I I think, let's get into the melon heads and then we'll go more in, into combat strategy. The melon heads are a cryptid slash urban legend that's mostly in the states of Connecticut, Michigan, and Ohio. It's a rural story or, or, or suburban story of these creatures. And it's interesting because we're going to look at three different urban legends. And some of the details are the same. Some of the details are different. And that makes me think, one, there's either was based on some sort of truth or some kids who used to live in Connecticut ended up moving to Michigan and then later told their kids in Ohio. Like, that's also going to be how it's spread. Oh, and I should say this before I get into the gruesome stories that are follow. Melonhead is also a term for a fan of the Los Angeles Rams. I found that out. We're not talking about them. They may eat people. They may have tiny baby bodies. I don't know. I don't watch sports. Connecticut. The year is 1960. You got like a fog rolling through the city. In other parts of the country, people are wearing bell bottoms. People are protesting the Vietnam War. Did that start yet? 1960? <laughs> They're protesting a war because they think something's going to happen. Everyone's just grooving. People are practicing their kung fu fighting for when they might have to start moving as fast as lightning. But in Connecticut in 1960, on a dark, stormy night, there is an asylum for the criminally insane. Bunch of inmates are trapped in there, rattling their chains. Doctors walking through the darkened halls. Man, these insane people, they're driving me nuts. Why did I take this job? But, you know, you gotta make a living, right? And everyone's like, yeah, I gotta make a living. Lightning strikes. Somehow, some reason, luck or a curse, a fire breaks out in the insane asylum. 
Doctor's like, ah, ah, actually, I don't know if he burned to death, but he doesn't get mentioned anymore. However, 10 to 20 inmates escape. Oh, let's break out, boys. Let's go. That's what he thinks he says. He really just goes, they escape. They go into the surrounding forest around this asylum for the criminally insane. They're out there and they go, oh no, we're insane. We don't have any survival skills. So then they begin eating people for food, not just for fun, maybe a little bit of fun. And because they're out in the middle of nowhere and they're insane and they're cannibals and Tinder doesn't exist yet, they begin to interbreed and their babies are born with hydrocephalus 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 and which is basically water on the brain when you're a little baby and you get it your brain your skull actually gets distended and then you look like you have a melon head you look like you have a big old head so the idea is that they were interbreeding with they're inbreeding with each other the crazy people were inbreeding with each other their babies were deformed with these melon heads and to this day the babies are still running around jumping out of the woods eating people or the other version of the Connecticut story is there was a family from the colonial era that was accused of witchcraft, ran into the woods, started banging each other, and their babies had melon heads. That story, it, it, that's, both stories are kind of ridiculous, but that story actually makes more sense because that would give, you just can't bang your sister and have a mutant baby. Like, it doesn't, it, it can, but it generally tends to happen the farther, like, you bang your sister and you have a baby, and then one of you like bangs the baby when it grows up, and then that's the mutant. That's the mutant baby. So it's not like you would just break out of jail, inbreed with the inmate who was next to you from the insane asylum. Like it would take a couple generations for you to start to produce mutated babies. But anyways, that's the Connecticut version of the story. Now we're gonna go to Michigan. Here's the Michigan version of the story. Insane asylum. That's a common theme. With this story. And I think it's because insane asylums tend to be scary. Because they're basically just buildings full of crazy people. But an insane asylum inside the Felt Mansion. Now, Felt Mansion is this giant building. It looks like Professor Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters. It's this beautiful building. It was founded by this guy named Dor Felt. Which is kind of a dope name. Dor Felt, successful businessman. Very well known. Very well liked in the area. He was an inventor. And now, all of the only thing the Felt Mansion is associated with is, really, is melon heads. Like, all of his life's work gone into building his business. And now, his, his house is the headquarters of cannibalistic children. So, but he was long dead. The Felt Mansion ended up turning into Insane Asylum, where there was an evil doctor there, who was... This guy wasn't just walking down hallways saying how much he hated his job. He actually kind of liked his job. Because it gave him an opportunity to abuse and torture the inmates. He was just having fun. He loved showing up at work. He's like, oh, dude, I can't wait to go to work. Man, I got all these new tools I'm going to use to abuse these people. Woo! His wife's like, what What are you talking about? He's like, oh, nothing, honey. He gets, the the doctor gets in his car. I don't know why I'm building up the backstory. The the point is the doctor works at the hospital. Insane asylum. He's torturing these people. They finally get tired of being tortured. They attack him. They rip him to pieces and hide different pieces of his body all over Felt Mansion. Then the little people, the not they're not little yet, the insane asylum people again escape from the insane asylum and hide in a local cave system. Now, they also jump out and eat you, the melon heads. And people have said that if you break into Felt Mansion, you can see the ghosts of melon heads and 
see the murder of the doctor reenacted. That story's a little bizarre because if the Melonheads are running around in the forest, I don't know how their ghosts are also in the mansion, but that's the story from Michigan. Now we're going to Ohio, which was really the story that I was like, this, this, someone heard, the someone used to live in Connecticut and then moved to Michigan and thought, you know what, I'm moving to Ohio. I'm going to add my own spin. I'm going to give the Melonhead story a dark reimagining. We're in Ohio. We're specifically in the Cleveland suburb of Kirtland. Kirtland. If anyone's from Kirtland, I'm sure they know about this. And this is why I think this story is definitely... This story was was crafted by someone who is a mwah, connoisseur of the Melonhead legend. In the suburb of Kirtland, there is a mansion, an insane asylum, but it was like a hidden insane asylum. It's like a like it was a normal house in the basement. This guy kept kept prisoners, kept these prisoners, right? Now, his name was Dr. Crow, but he went by another name. <laughs> he went by the name Dr. Melonhead. So I don't know if his name was like James Melonhead, and he that was like his family's name. He comes from a long line of Melonheads. And that's how they got the name Melonhead. But again, that's what I'm saying. It's almost like a gritty reboot. Like, they had to explain. This is his Han Solo, how Han Solo got his name. This is that of Urban Legends. This is how the Melonheads got their name. Because they are actually the byproduct of Dr. Melonhead. So, Dr. Melonhead worked with kids with hydrocephalus. Hydrocephalus. So, he was basically saying, I will take care of your baby... Oh, your baby has water on the brain and their 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 skull's all big. I will take care of them. And the parents are like, well, thank you, because we can't. And you're a doctor. Thank you, Dr. Melonhead. And he's like, uh, yes, Dr. Melonhead, MD. Anyways, so Dr. Melonhead goes to work. But what he does is he doesn't treat the baby. This is this is this urban legend. I'm not making this up. Dr. Melonhead does not treat the babies. He instead wonders what would happen if I inject more liquid into their brain? So he begins to inject fluid into these babies' brains, making their heads even more melon-like. Here, I'm not a scientist, but if a, if a child is suffering from a horrible disfigurement, I don't think the answer is... I, I, the question should not be, I wonder what will happen if I make them more disfigured. Because you know the answer to that. They will become more disfigured. But apparently Dr. Melonhead really was a fan of water on the brain. He began injecting these kids, these babies, <laughs> with more liquid. If I was six years old and I heard the story of Bloody Mary, which I did, totally terrified me. If I was six years old and my older brother tried telling me this version of the Melonhead story, I would probably have become a skeptic on the spot. Because the story is just so ridiculous. He injects them with more liquid. Eventually, though, these mute, mutated melon heads, these even more melony than their brothers in Connecticut and Michigan, these are the super melon heads, they also end up killing the doctor. But these melon heads, again, gritty reboot, they run into the forest. They'll scamper off. Big melon heads bouncing along. These ones are also cannibals, but that's not good enough for Ohio. Cannibalism is so Michigan. These ones specifically enjoy the taste of babies. So, you know, like, 
put your baby down. Hush, little baby, don't say a word. Mama's gonna buy you a mockingbird. If that mockingbird don't sing. And from the closet, you see like a pair of yellow eyes. <laughs> the mom's swaddling the baby. Whatever that word means. Wraps it up in a blanket. I think that's what it means. Kisses the baby on the head. Leaves the room. Closet door slowly pushed open. It doesn't use its hand. It just slowly leans its head forward. The melon head pushes against the door. Luckily, the doorknob is loose because a gang stalker was in there. So moves silently out of the closet. Towards the baby's crib. Oh, and also in Ohio, the version of the story, this baby might actually be safe because the melon heads have terrible vision because of all the extra liquid in their brain. So they can't, if you wear red or black, they won't attack you because they can't see you. But if you wear white, they'll attack you. So moral of the story is don't put your baby in white clothes. You shouldn't do that anyways because your baby's going to be totally messy. It's going to make stains everywhere. But also because the melon heads will get them. So, this is the interesting thing about the Melonhead story. Um, Felt Mansion was never an insane asylum. They've never been able to track down, so that part of the story we know is false. The asylum for the criminally insane that burnt down in Connecticut, that may or may not have happened at some point, but I couldn't find a name for any any insane asylum there. There were stories that Dr. Crow did, was not did not go by the name Dr. Melonhead, but did perform illegal abortions in the area, but that is also probably a, a retcon urban legend type of thing. There's a bridge in that area they call Crybaby Bridge because apparently you can hear babies crying underneath it, and that's either because melonheads are th- eating babies and throwing their bodies into the bridge, under the bridge, not into it, you're driving by, you're driving over the overpass and a baby comes flying at you, or that he was dumping the bodies of aborted babies there. Here's the thing. I don't think the melonheads exist. I think, and I, I'm not going to go into this whole thing, like, because we think they exist, they exist. I think this is an interesting idea of an urban legend that at there probably was a kid with a horrible disfigured head in one of these areas at some point, just statistically. And this rumor started. That's fairly likely. And I think it's interesting how it's fairly fairly in this geographical region. You don't have stories about melon heads in California. You don't have stories about melon heads in New York. Well, you do have them in California. They're the Los Angeles Ram fans, but it's it's a it's not like Bloody Mary where it's a universal urban legend. The melon heads is really restricted to these areas. These areas are one of the creepiest areas really in America because it's the suburbs bordered by forests is generally where these creatures exist. They're areas that are fairly well-traveled, but not civilized. And I think growing up, that's always a scary thing because you have a perfectly manicured neighborhood or maybe even just like a trailer park. But then you have a place where you're totally familiar with all the sights and the sounds and the people there. And then bordering that is a forest full of creatures and wonder and mystery and darkness and weird noise that that you don't understand. And I think that's why... Urban legends like this are so catchy. It's this idea of the familiar butting up against the unfamiliar and the alien. So if in an environment like that, added with someone telling you once that they went to school with someone with a melon head, Dr. Melonhead, they knew him in elementary school, 
these stories get mixed up. And again, I think it's most likely that kids from one state made up the story or heard of the story from their uncles or whatever. And when they began moving or changing high schools and things like that, the story spread. It changed because you had a new group of people to entertain. But the key component stayed. Tiny little cannibals with melon heads is really the key component in it. But that all being said, that all being said of where I think the melon head legend came from, we can go even farther back, a couple states away. But in the state of Idaho, there was an old Native American legend of these things called the Awihi Mountain Dwarves. The Awihi Mountains is a physical place, but there is an old legend of these two feet tall creatures that specifically fed on children. Is it possible that a subset of a creature like that, of a cryptid like that, still exists today? We're in the realm of the mystical. These guys had tails that would wrap around their body to give them some sort of body armor, and they were quite cunning and cruel. But if we accept things like Bigfoot, this is really no different. So we have a little bit of urban legend, a little bit of Native American tales, literally. <laughs> that wasn't, pun wasn't intended, but where is the truth in that? Were these stories just completely made up by a drunk uncle one night? Was there really a Dr. Melonhead who was performing obscene experiments on the bodies of babies? Was there a race of cannibalistic dwarves that once prowled the mountainsides and spilled out and moved into other parts of the country? Who knows? Who knows? But if you do have a child, make sure you check the closet and look under the bed. Make sure the window's locked before you kiss them goodnight and shut the light off tonight. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O'Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>